Ladies and gentlemen, today is my great pleasure to have with us Nalin Naidu. He's the Divisional Executive for Shared Value Solutions at Liberty Life. And he's been on this journey of cultural and agile transformation, and I can't wait to speak to him. Okay, so Nalin, tell us a bit of what do you do at Liberty? Um, Yosef, thanks. So I... I'm the divisional executive for a team called Shared Value Solutions within our broader retail solution space. Um, what we do is come up with um, effectively products and services that our customers want to buy from us and that our advisors want to advise our customers on. Specifically within the team, um, Shared Value Solutions are any solutions that create value um, amongst advisors, customers, and external parties, and then share that value with all the different parties. Um, our wellness initiatives fit under that banner. Our loyalty and rewards initiatives fit under that banner. And any of our relationships with some of our big strategic partners, like our reinsurers, also fit in that part of the business. So this is a job you need a bit of personality for. <laughs> so how did an actuary like yourself then end up in something like this? <laughs> Quite, uh, quite by good fortune, actually. Um, I have had a pretty um, technical and traditional actuarial career for many, many years. And then when mm -hmm. I returned to South Africa from um, the stint I had working abroad, and when I returned to South Africa about five years ago, I joined Liberty mm -hmm. um, and eventually ended up stumbling, stumbling into the opportunities around innovation and cultural change and getting people to work differently. Um, so and could you, could you model that? Not quite, not quite yet. So I'm still working. I'm working on it. <laughs> now what they always think, or they always say economics is the decimal science, because my marks were so poor on statistics, I call statistics the decimal science. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing um, everybody tells me about is the way you guys have embraced these new ways of working, agile, all of that. Tell me a bit about that. How did you get involved with that and what is, how did you guys implement it? Hmm. Um, I think the first uh, exposure really that I had to doing things differently was a few years ago during the various new ways of working workshops that we were fortunate enough to be invited to across the bank and that really opened my mind quite, quite substantially. Um, and then as we started designing solutions, especially in a shared value type of world where there are different types of solutions requiring different sorts of business models and different ways of thinking about the customer, um, I realized that our current processes maybe don't spend enough time on what the customer really, really wants and what the advisor really wants as well. Um, and so new ways of working for me became a, became a lightning rod almost to try and change the manner in which we developed solutions. Um, and focused much more on the customer. Okay, so it's all about customer value creation. So give me some of the techniques. What are, what's in your toolkit of things you use to, to hmm. do this new ways of working? Yeah. And so, so I look at it three, as three pieces, uh, Yusuf. I think the first bit um, is do we have an environment where people know what a good idea is? So when they come up with an idea, that the idea is broadly aligned to strategy, and that there's a good chance that we're going to do it. Um, and that, to me, speaks to a broader 
business strategy question. So do mm-hmm. we understand what our business strategy is? Do we understand where we're going for the next three to five years? And, and so a large piece of the work is focused on getting everyone to understand mm-hmm. where the business would like to go and broadly the direction so that good ideas can mm-hmm. start coming through. Once a good idea has come up, I think the question is what environment does it land in for it to become a great idea. And this speaks to the cultural point. So I like that. A lot of the work that we've been doing has been to try to change the culture within the environment so there are a lot more yes and people, there are a lot more people that listen to feedback, there are a lot more people that listen to one another, that view failure differently, um, and so willing to change that cultural mm-hmm. point. So when the good idea comes up, it lands in an environment that circles it around and cultivates it, and it becomes a great idea. The third piece of the puzzle for us, though, is not just about good and great. It's also about becoming real, making ideas real. And so how does a good idea become a great idea and then become a real thing? And so we've been spending about a bit of time on what are the repeatable, robust processes that we can use to take a great idea to market. And so some of the tools and techniques we have through all of those different pieces of the puzzle to ensure that people know what good ideas are. We spend a lot of time on what our strategic frameworks are, what our prioritization frameworks are, getting our different executives and their teams on the same page. To work out, um, to create an environment in which people then turn that into a great idea, we've reorganized our workspaces, we've tried to get a lot more visual, um, we've tried to hold some of our executive committee meetings in front of walls, in front of the office, rather than in closed rooms, and tried to change the manner in which executives hold themselves accountable, and therefore the way people in the business view each other interacting, uh, viewing the executives interacting with one another. Um, And then when it comes to the repeatable process, that's probably where we have the most amount of ammunition. Um, Thanks a lot to the interactions we've had with uh, you and your team and other work that we've done through the process. So um, we use all the various toolkits available within a design thinking process, all the way from persona creation through to, um, uh, I guess, uh, workshops uh, that allow us to prototype um, our particular idea, particular solutions, and then work through desirability, viability, feasibility type of frameworks to get to something that we think we can take to market. And then on top of that, we have all the tools that we've um, worked with your team on to um, deliver these solutions in an agile manner. So that's the agile IT delivery piece supported by the product development teams. So concrete pieces all along the journey to allow people to to feel that they're actually going through this this transformation. Okay, but you also touched on something which I think we're all struggling with is culture. What would our agile culture look like for you? <laughs> you mentioned some things, you know, like yes. failure and um, we should tolerate it. And but what other things? Yeah. So I think I think for me, um, when people are willing to listen to one another, but really listen to one mm. another. So it isn't just listen to the head, but it's listen to the heart. And then there's actually the third level of listening, listening with your soul. When you're doing those types of just deep listening... Just tell me a bit about that. I haven't heard that about... Tell <laughs> us a bit more about these levels of listening and what it means. So, so I was fortunate to um, be exposed to a course, actually, that was handled in various um, cities on the continent of Africa a few years ago. Um, And during these courses, uh, we were introduced to the concept of something called cultural intelligence. So move from IQ to EQ and then to what this particular organization was calling CQ. 
and the organization in particular is, is Common Purpose, and they uh, run various courses with um, Liberty. So cultural intelligence is about breaking down barriers across different cultures, and it's rooted in being able to listen to one another in a very different manner, knowing where you are willing to flex your values and knowing where you're not willing to flex your values. Mm -hmm. um, within the listening levels, then, most of us listen to one another. I mean, we're now moving beyond the normal listening that we're talking about, when often people listen just to respond and, you know, I mean, that, that piece of it, mm -hmm. we're already past that stage. We're now saying, okay, you, you have realized that most people listen to respond. Now you've solved that problem. So you're now listening. And the first thing you do is you listen intellectually. You listen effectively with your head. You're trying to physically understand what someone is saying. And if they're communicating in a way that you understand, you can then take it in, listen to, uh, take it inside, and then, and then reply in some sort of sensible manner. Listening with your heart is about trying to put your, trying to better understand the emotions of the person that is giving that particular statement to you. So it's about, um, not just the words and the content, but also the manner in which they're saying it, and trying to better get a feeling of what that person is through. But it's not quite deep enough yet. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're just trying to sense their broad mood. Listening with the soul then goes on a different level where you're effectively trying to put yourself in their position as they are speaking. And by empathizing with them as deeply as that, not only are you focusing on their content and not only are you focusing on the way that they are um, uh, feeling, but you're actually almost putting yourself in their situation and trying to better understand where they're coming from, deeply where they're coming from. And all those three pieces of listening um, hopefully get us to a stage where we're better able to empathize with people, we're better able to really hear beyond what people are saying, and then we're able to get to the nubs of the problems that we need to solve. Mm -hmm. It reminds me of something Nassim Taleb said, that we must move from skinning the game, which is a really big problem, you know, to get people to feel pride in their work, being personally affected by their work, to sold in the game, yes. where you're actually so passionate and you're so involved. And that also resonated with me, is how do you, how do you, like I said, we're already struggling just to get skin in the game, but how to be, have sold in the game, that's for me the big question. Mm -hmm. Let's say you were asked to drive a cultural transformation within Liberty, how would you do it? How would you get the soul in the game or get these levels of listening right? What would you do around that? Yeah, so so I think that's exactly the million-dollar question and I think the one that we're all grappling with. Um, I mean, interestingly, from a, um, from a I guess, inspirational source perspective, um, uh, the founder of Liberty, Sir Donald Gordon, um, in, the speech, uh, in, in the speech that he gave... Um, I think it's almost 20 years ago now at the finding of the at the at the opening of the um, Gordon Institute of Business um, School uh, Gibbs. Um, his comments were effectively that passion in business is everything, and so I mean it started there with somebody who was so deeply ingrained in the Liberty DNA because his his um, his personality has imprinted itself on the company, and passion was everything for him. And I think. Um, having a strong founder like that over many years has meant that the people at Liberty that were attracted to Liberty mm -hmm. and that stayed at Liberty mm -hmm. have that same DNA. Somehow it's imprinted on them. I mean, the, the importance of passion in what you're doing, passion in business mm -hmm. in particular. So to your, to your question about cultural change, 
um, I think there's a large number of people in our organization that perhaps just needs to be reminded um, that actually that's where they started and that's where they came mm -hmm. from. Um, and and we, can't, we can't discount the fact that over many, many years, various events happen, people get tired, people get jaded, and it's about reinvigorating that energy into the process. Mm -hmm. for, a, for a bunch of uh, new people, for newer people in the organization, um, I often view it as um, uh, having very strong leadership and role models are one of the, are one of the kind of hallmarks of what that person will then become once they've joined Liberty, um, and then continuous repetition by then the people around them and by the leaders when, um, when behaviors are noticed that perhaps are counterculture. Mm. Um, I mean, do you let the behavior um, uh, run its course, or do you actually stand up and say something about it? And, and one of those examples would be the failure culture conversation mm. that regularly happens, where um, it is extremely easy in a very um, tough business environment to want to view every failure as something that requires a solution. Mm. Um, but really, sometimes it's really about the learnings, and you can take the learnings out of it and using it for the next uh, mm. attempt and creating an environment where yeah. that's fine. Yeah, and I think you're spot on. I was lucky enough yesterday to attend a culture workshop, and two things stood out for me because... Um, I think when we did cultural transformation at Standard Bank, especially in the in group IT, we focused a lot on Dan Pink's um, purpose, mastery, and autonomy, and we put a lot of effort into mastery. You know how to become really good at what you do because people take pride in that. To have some autonomy, you know, which is also a good agile cultural value that you know trust people to get on with it but I think the part that um, I learned which is exactly what you said people also need to create or to connect to a um, bigger purpose mm -hmm. and funnily enough everywhere I traveled in the world people told me that Dan Pink told me that you told me that and what did I do not focus on that <laughs> and when I thought about it Stan Bank has also such a great purpose statement that we are responsible for Africa's growth, and we can actually build this continent. We always just sit and complain about the country we're in, complaining about Africa, all of it. But in all of our jobs, we can actually grow this con continent. We can grow our industry and everything do. If it's payments, if it is helping a startup, if it's helping a business person through programming or whatever, we actually becoming better, and we're putting Africa on the map. And I think I forgot that. Hmm. And so that was, for me, a big lesson. And the other thing um, they said, which I also thought was good, is culture is also a lot about trust. And when you want to do cultural change, you commit to something and you deliver on it. Hmm. Yes, something small. And when people trust you on that small thing, you commit to something another little bit, but just a little bit bigger. And so you build trust over time. And when the culture trusts you, that is when things start happening because a lot of people want transparency and they want trust in their management and all of that. And I thought that for us was very helpful. Yeah. But like I said, um, yeah, I got a rude awakening how important purpose, purpose is. And I must say, everybody I spoke to at Liberty talks about Donald Gordon's vision for the country and how to help people. And when I walked in there and I read it on that 
plaque when you walk in. I almost got goosebumps because I thought, wow, that is really, really good. And now then another thing which people said I should ask you. I have two questions I should ask you. The one um, Daniel here, our show producer, said I must ask you. And another one, um, Ivanka, you guys as Agile coach, asked me to ask you. You traveled the world. You immigrated and came back. (laughs) And Ivanka said that was such an inspirational story. Can you share that with our listeners? Sure, sure. (laughs) um, I'm... I'm careful to use the word emigrate because uh, emigrate is quite a quite a permanent word for me, um, and I think in our in our rapidly shrinking world, I think people take opportunities and they, um, uh, I guess, expand their horizons and then eventually find out deeply embedded in them where their roots are. Um, I was quite fortunate soon after I got married that. Um, uh, I was able to get a job in the UK with a British insurance company. Um, my wife and I had always wanted to travel and have an opportunity to uh, see the world, but from a base giving us mm-hmm. different exposure. Um, and so we spent a good many years in London, um, really having a great exposure to British culture, to mm-hmm. European culture, and to travel. Um, the work I was doing was incredibly interesting, and I was working for a global Don't company. Don't you miss mushy peas? <laughs> It's a, it's a, it's the it's the beer battered fish bit that is the ah. <laughs> that's the bit that keeps me going back. <laughs> um, um, and so uh, after a fantastic experience in London, um, the company I worked for was um, was incredibly well known for its mobility programs, and so I was able to get onto one of those mobility programs and uh, move to the United States for um, uh, for a few years. I was based in Chicago, a freezing Ooh, cold That is cold, city yeah, that's my first thing. <laughs> um, and um, over the period I was there, which was a few years, got some really interesting exposure to American Midwest culture um, and to what insurance companies in uh, effectively the Midwest, um, the, the issues that they are grappling with. And through that experience, um, I think I realized that those problems are not dissimilar from the problems that we experience in South Africa. In many instances, in prior jobs I'd had in South Africa prior to leaving, um, I'd actually seen some of those solutions to the problems that were already in place. And that was probably the first um, exposure I had to a better appreciating the intellectual kind of base that had been built up and the thought leadership base that had been built up in South Africa that I'd been reading about all my life, but didn't until that point really click that, hold on a second, yeah, actually, we do know what we're doing. Um, I was then quite fortunate uh, to move again after various company restructuring issues, unfortunately, but I, needed, I left the U.S. and moved to Asia. Um, and there I was based in Singapore for a few years. And the experience in Singapore, um, which is a developed market sitting in a developing continent, um, made me realize again that South Africa, from a financial services perspective, is leagues ahead yes. of many of the company, uh, countries that we, um, that we often compare ourselves to. Um, and um, in dealing with critical issues like resourcing issues within that Singaporean and Asian environment, it also made me realize that 
the issues we grapple with in South Africa from a people resourcing perspective are no different, whether mm. it's a diversity conversation or whether it's a skills mm. transformation conversation. Um, and that, with those realizations that we have such a strong thought leadership base sitting within South Africa already, that we have a diverse workforce that is highly skilled, that can solve many of the problems that already exist globally, um, I needed to make a call on uh, where was the right place for my family and I to live. And coming to South Africa and solving South Africa's problems was exactly where we needed to be. Um, and I've never looked back since we moved here five years ago, moved back five years ago. And I think Africa is thankful because you're also <laughs> building the African continent now. No, What you. was your impression of Singapore? Because I know a couple of people that went there. I'll, I'll share, to, share with you what they told, but you go first. <laughs> I think I think Singapore, uh, in in a lot of um, in a lot of countries, it's very hard to um, disaggregate the current impression of a country from its history. And I think uh -huh. Singapore's context, um, going from, I guess, largely a rural backwater city, um, to one of the highest literacy rates in the world mm. and one of the uh, highest GDP per capita in the world, is a remarkable story driven by significant leadership. Lee Kuan Yew is mm. often compared to Nelson Mandela, but uh, Lee Kuan Yew's leadership. But, it, but in doing that, um, it's soft authoritarianism, effectively. Um, and uh, through being able to establish very clear guidelines on what is appropriate in that society and what's not appropriate in that society, transformation was possible. And okay. he was able to transform it very quickly. Um, I think now, um, as his son has taken over and as other um, uh, competitor, political competitors are coming to the fore, um, and together with the generational change of the younger, more social media, um, uh, usage, high social media usage generation, um, I think those ways of, of um, uh, kind of operating are being challenged. Mm. And Singapore is going through an interesting time now of, of uh, interesting transition, yeah. yes. Uh, I've heard exactly the same, and um, also what people really appreciated is your house might be small, but there's lots of parks and things, and the communitarian stuff is really well done. Mm. So you don't need big houses and all of that. You can actually, the parks, everything is safe and clean, and it's actually quite quite nice. Exactly. Everything works. Yes. Everything always works, and everything's always clean. Yes. Exactly. And maybe a last question, and which I ask everybody: If you could think of a spiritual animal, an animal you associate with, what would that be? <laughs> um, can it be a can it be a spiritual a spirit plant? Yes, um, I, I actually think um, uh, I think an avocado tree is my spirit plant. Okay, I don't know. I forgot. And, I forgot. I forgot. Avocado, avocado trees. tree. Avocado trees. Avocados grow. Avocado trees can first of all grow huge. I mean, they can be gigantic mm -hmm. trees. Um, and the reason I'd say avocado tree, it's one of the few trees that, under stress, actually produces much more fruit. Ah, um, it's like a bougainvillea. Exactly. Um, and so um, I do find that my best performance comes out under a little bit of pressure. Um, and um, uh, yeah, and I guess avocados, everyone loves avocados. And it's healthy now. And it's healthy. Well, now, yeah, exactly. Yes, now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now, for now. Yeah. 
Nalene, thank you very much. It was an absolute pleasure to have you here. And good luck with all of your agile new ways of working and cultural transformations. Thank you, Yosef. Perfect. We'll st- we will applaud you from the sidelines. <laughs> with all your help. Thank you yeah. very much. Cool. Thanks. Bye-bye.